Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 61 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Before I start talking about today's episode, I do want to take time to tell you about a special project that we are doing here in West Michigan to help honor Andy. You may have seen it on my Facebook page where I've posted it a couple of times, but the camp that our church uses for its youth summer camps is really needs a big facelift. The cabins are very old and kind of falling apart, and they really wanted to get new cabins for the campers to be able to enjoy. And they challenged our church as one of the churches that uses the camp to start their campaign for the new cabins. And each new cabin is about $400,000. And they challenged our church to raise $50,000 by the end of the year. Our pastor introduced this idea to us. And I knew right away that Eric and I would want to contribute to and in Andy's name because camp had been such an important part of his life. He loved camp. He made his amazing church friends at camp, and it was just an unbelievable experience for him. And Eric and I have been wanting to make donations to causes that were important to Andy each year. But after about a week, I really started thinking that I wanted to be able to do more for this camp. And just to see if there would be a way that they could honor Andy in this renovation for the camp. And so we approached them and asked if we were able to raise $100,000 instead of the $50,000, if they would dedicate the first great room of the first cabin to Andy. They accepted our uh, challenge And that's what it's become. It's really become my challenge to try to raise that $100,000. And our church family has already gotten us more than halfway there. And I certainly hope we can get to that $100,000 mark by the end of the year. But for this month, every donation that goes to the Always Andy's Mom nonprofit organization that I formed will go to the camp for this cabin project. So if you want to contribute, if you feel called to contribute, $5, $10, $50, however much you might want to contribute, you can go to the andysmom.com webpage and click on the donate button and know that all of the donations through the month of November will go to that cause. So I just wanted to take a minute to tell all of you, my listeners, about that and to just ask for support because as we all know, as grieving parents, we really want our children remembered. And this is a way that I feel like we can honor Andy's memory and what he loved to do and 
maybe spark a conversation in a camper someday about who Andy was and what he loved to do and how he'll be up there in heaven waiting for him someday. So thank you for your consideration. Now to talk about this week's episode. I have to say this is a challenging one for me. If you normally listen to this podcast in the car with your children, you probably do not want to do that this week. Because this week we're talking about a more uncomfortable and intimate subject. (laughs) This week, Always Andy's Mom is talking about sex and how that changes after you go through the devastating loss of a child. So I had a listener write and ask a few months ago if I would be willing to do an episode on sex and intimacy after loss. And I really felt overwhelmed by that idea and was not very excited about doing it. And then reached out to a couple of people who were very enthusiastic and willing to come on and talk to me. So you will get to hear from Stephanie and Gwen, both of whom have been on the show in the past. And they do a good job of being really open and honest about talking about this sensitive topic. And I have opened up in ways that I didn't think I could. So again, this might be an episode you want to listen to with your spouse or significant other, but definitely not one you want to listen to with the kids. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Well, I have two guests today on the show that I'm excited to have on. Both have been on several times before. I have my friend Stephanie, who's been on twice before. She is the mother of Kian. And then I have Gwen, who is our wise expert that gives us uh, advice on all things grief-related. <laughs> so this week is, I have to say, going to be much more uncomfortable for me So I had several weeks ago now, well, probably a few months, I had someone write in and ask if I could do an episode on intimacy with your partner after losing your child um, and what that looks like and talk about sex. And honestly, it is not something that I felt very confident talking about at all. So I brought it up to Stephanie and she said, yeah. I would totally be willing to talk about that. And I thought, okay. And then I talked to Gwen and she said, well, I've got some great resources on that topic. I think we could do an episode on that. And so here we are. Now here I am feeling a little uncomfortable, but with the encouragement of the two of them and the really important, I think, question and that was brought up because it is important And even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, I think it's a good thing to talk about. And it's a good thing to let grieving parents know that this can be a huge issue after you go through any type of trauma, let alone losing a child. So I don't know. Do you want to start, Gwen, by just talking a little bit? Sure. Throw it to me. (laughs) 
Um, I think there's a couple things as we were talking earlier is that men and women are different and we were created different. We have different needs. We express them differently. And there are some times that there's a lack of interest in sex and intimacy. And then there's other times it's an increased. And when a child dies and we experience some kind of trauma, I have had some people tell me that they're confused or their desire changed. Um, mm-hmm. And so that I've been told by many families. Yeah. Stephanie's nodding. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, Marcy, I want to say that when you approached me and said, oh, I have this person that wants to do this, and I would jumped right on it. Um, I can remember that four months after Kian died, I went to a mom mom's retreat for all moms whose children had died of chronic illnesses. So very specific group of people. And I remember waiting all weekend for somebody to mention the fact that sex was weird now. <laughs> and nobody did. Nobody and this was a really open group of people, very eclectic group, um, but nobody really did. As a matter of fact, I even tossed it out one night after we had been to dinner and people were just like, oh, if you're doing that, like, good for you. And, and yeah. that was all it was. But just like Gwen said, I remember um, shortly after Kian died, and, and I mean – maybe within 48 hours, probably like making the conscious decision that if I don't roll over towards Paul and, and I do have Paul's permission to, to talk about this um, and make some connection that I was really afraid of how long it would be. But then what I found was um, it was a connection that I, that I felt very similar to that. He was the only other person that knew so much of what I was feeling and it was this shared moment of, I don't even know, I don't know. I was going to say passion. I don't know if there was a lot of passion there, but it was that connection, that intimacy that we did find ourselves at the beginning sort of turning to each other. I've, I've always said all along that Paul is the only other person who was in the room when Kian um, took her first breath and when Kian took her last breath. He's the only one. So I think that played into that immediate, um, like, I need to have a connection with this person who knows what I'm feeling. The only other person who is Kian's parent, please, I was just grasping at that first. And so it was. We had sex frequently there at the beginning because it was all we knew to do. And it was the only positive feeling. I think it was positive. I don't even know. You know what I mean? Because it's confusing. Yeah. It's very confusing. So that's why I was nodding my head. I, I just... I, I guess we actually did too. We were much more frequent just because we just really wanted to be close. Yes. I just wanted, I just wanted to hold him and never let go. Mm -hmm. And I cried the whole time. Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. The whole time. But it was important to feel close to him, to feel like we were really kind of one almost, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just, everything else was spinning out of control. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you made the comment that I have the resources. It really was only one seminar I went to very early on in my grief work, and I wish I could go again now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they aren't many. Like you said, no. people aren't talking about it. So when I go to grief seminars, it's, you know, you know, disabling grief or trauma or these things, but there's not one that has the sexual responses um, 
to this. So it's been hard to learn about it. But one, you used both words that they used to describe. They said there is an immediate powerful urge for sexual or for intercourse after a death. An immediate powerful urge is the way they described it. And you were trying to say, was it passion? Well, it was just that. And, you know, you said it like just wanting to be close. It's an urge. Like this is a feeling. Because what we know is that that's the ultimate fusion of a person with another. So you just said we wanted to be one. And that is what God designed that relationship for. Um, It's very life affirming when everything else is not. And um, it gives brief relief because it is a reliever of stress. So there is just something, um, some relief. And asking for intercourse um, can seem less risky than asking for comfort. That's interesting. That Mm -hmm. last one. Yeah. Say that again. Asking for intercourse is less risky than asking for comfort. I think part of it maybe, you know, is that we don't know what we'd find comforting. Right, right, (laughs) So we don't know. You can't say, I have this need. I need you to help me bring in the groceries today. That's a, a specific need. But to say, I need to feel whole and I need to feel loved and I need to feel comforted and I need to feel all that stuff, it's hard to put into words. So it can, it's, um, very instinctual right. to do the act. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think it falls back to it is a human instinct that God created in us when we have a spouse, when we have that connection, that intimacy. And when you, when you, when everything else, just what you said, Marcy, when everything else in the world is spinning, your child has died, you don't know, you can't figure out how to like, you know, make a meal. You can't read a book anymore. You can't finish your sentences because your words you get lost you you don't know what else to do and that you fall back on those instincts for a while now I can admit that 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 didn't last for us (laughs) that's a whole other um you know segment of this but which I think is important because that I mean that is really what the, the original question was my husband is really interested and I'm just not And so I think that happens too, um, that maybe right away things are different than what they are a few weeks out, a few months out. Things change that way. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty open about the fact that Kian died 40 months ago. That number really struck me um, last week. 40 months ago, so three years and four months or whatever that is. I can't even keep track. And I am very open about the fact that still now when Paul and I have sex, if I have an orgasm or if I have release, I cry every single time. It has been every single time. And I think I can, the only thing that makes sense to me is with along with that physical release, that it that were like like that is just innate in us as human beings there is also an emotional release mm-hmm. and i think especially 30 40 months out i don't find myself taking the time necessarily always to do my grief work as 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 well as i did that first year does that make sense like mm-hmm. and and so i've stuffed it a little bit or i've you know we've been busy and I haven't faced the fact that 
I'm just really missing her and I haven't taken the time to maybe cry. And so then when you have that physical release, like every time in those 40 months, I have cried. Let me ask this then. Has that been upsetting for him or you know you've had to probably teach him then how to respond to a crying person you know it's probably not the response a man wants right after that so then it's added another level let's say of the communication that you need to have and then the connecting and the intimacy that you have so have you talked through that yeah we have we've had to right I mean I think I think he understood it at the beginning Right. And then as it went on, I think he was like, okay, what is going on here? Because it is literally a cleansing moment for me. And so I have had to do a lot of conversation with, I, I'm okay. That was good. It was nothing that you did. It's just what comes out. I, I think that it runs really closely. Those releases run really closely you know, at least that's how I can liken it for myself, you know? And so I have had to tell him over and over again. And, and now, you know, bless him 40 months in, he kind of knows it's going to happen and he, you know, holds me or, um, sometimes I just kind of need to just sob it out for a little bit. And, um, we, we hope that it's a phase. (laughs) It seems like a long phase. Um, because I don't want to always cry at the end of every time we're intimate, but yet, it's just where we find ourselves. And I am really thankful that he's been able to just say, okay. And, and, you know, again, we're very open about that. We have a therapist that we work with and, you know, and our our story is sort of complex in the fact that, you know, we had infertility and intimacy problems with intimacy didn't just occur after Kean died for, for Paul and I. And so we've had to talk through a lot of that, but it's a totally different twist when your child dies and you're crying every time. And so um, we've had a therapist work with us on some of that. We've done just so much of that basic communication. It falls back to um, is like like your your listener who says, you know, he's really interested and I'm not. All I can say is you you have to communicate through that, which is extremely difficult. And so for you, if you have to go through all this emotionality. Every time, does that make you less likely to want to? <laughs> or, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, no, I if, get, I if get it. If you had to go through all that every time, it would make me go be like, eh, is I, it I, worth it? I don't know. You know, you know, I don't think there's that much conscious thought to it, okay. actually. I can talk about the fact that it does happen, that we know it's going to happen. I think it also gives me permission to let it happen because we've spoken it, because we've talked about it, because I own it, right? Um, I don't try to hide it. But yeah, I, I, I almost think I almost think that it is, I see it as a kind of a good thing, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it... Yeah, I think it's good for you. It feels good at the end to have that physical release and that emotional release. Yeah, I mean, you can edit this out, but there's not a whole lot of quickies going on, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, you know, because it is... a. It, it comes along with a lot of baggage right now and it's just where we're at and it could last for a long time. I hope not, but it could. And we know that. And it's part of our roots, right? Like you have to rely on those roots um, or build into your roots if you didn't have them before. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, you know, just going back to what we've learned in the past about what your love language is, right? How you, 
how you show other people that you love them. And some people that physicality is much more important than to other people. And, and that might be a part of what can go on too. If you just are one that really desires that kind of physical touch just in general, then when you're going through loss like this, it's just going to be magnified and you'll want that more. But if that's not the way that you normally like to demonstrate or feel love, then you might, your desire might be to do other things. Like there are some that really feel like, you know, if you, if you really loved me, you'd pick up the, you know, you'd take out the trash more. (laughs) You wouldn't leave your dirty socks on the floor. You'd, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about like that, Whereas that other, your partner might be, well, you know what? You need to touch me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I think it all boils down to the fact that it's work, that marriage is work, that relationships are work. Families are not easy. We're all learning that. Um, Even looking towards the holidays and how to plan and to talk, it's that communication. And Mm -hmm. Stephanie said it. I want to go back to something else you said, Stephanie, is I think that even in the Bible, it talks about laughter being a release. And so many things are so close um, to a release of emotion. So I think there is a very thin line between laughter and sorrow. I think there's a very thin line between life and death. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're reminded of when we do that. So, um, and our feelings do find a way out, whether it's, you know, (laughs) psychosomatically, whether, you know, whatever the release is that they... In, in order for feelings to heal, we can't hide them. They have to come out. So the years have found a maybe a safe and beautiful space to come out in, too, that you've discovered. Mm-hmm. We've said so much, and I was, you know, using with you guys the fact that when I leave groups sometimes at night, I try not to listen to the radio because one of the things that I used to uh, focus on the family used to be on about the time that I left group and I'm like, oh, then I got to hear somebody else's problems or what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But one night I was listening on my way home from group and it was about marriage and I thought, well, you know, I need this. We can all use this. And the whoever was talking said, um, you know, when we communicate, we connect and when we connect, we have intimacy And then he related to marriage that when we stop communicating, then we stop connecting and we lose our intimacy. Mm -hmm. And so that is in the marriage relationship. But when I thought about it as a grief worker is that when we stop communicating under the no one understands me anyway, I can't possibly tell you how I feel because you're going to shame me or judge me or whatever it is then we just stop connecting with people. And there's a lot of listeners right now who are saying, yeah, I work very hard at not connecting with people. I just want to be in myself. Yes. But then what we're losing is intimacy. Mm-hmm. And as we begin to heal, we develop that intimacy again in our friendships and the people around us. But what we don't want in the in-between time is to lose that with our spouse. spouse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so keeping that relationship. I, I'm not so much right now saying to parents, like, let's get out there and connect with people. We're talking right now about that most, you know, precious relationship. And mm-hmm. I think to, you know, that communication and that takes time. Yeah. Time, money, investment, what you're talking about, you know, going to talk to someone. Many times talking to someone outside of your family has really a lot of value that you both have this safe space that you can talk to, but it's 
it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And I think one of the things that Paul and I have had to learn through Kian's life, you know, your listeners know or might know that, you know, Kian had a complicated life um, just medically, but through her life and more so through her death that we've really had to break down our communication to those key, just those basic fundamentals of this is what I'm saying. This is what I hear you saying Mm -hmm. is, did I hear that correctly? You know, some of those, just those, and it is sort of like we roll our eyes. I think every time that our therapist will say, is that what you heard? You know, or whatever, but it does come down to communicating. And Marcy, I know you talked about, or we've talked before about being aware that grief or trauma can affect your relationship and really kind of consciously deciding that you were going to put in that work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not everybody starts out with the greatest relationship to begin with. Not everybody starts out with a really understanding partner. I mean, I think I want to be aware of that. And yet to make that conscious choice to say, you know, I'm going to try 1% better today or whatever, you know, or I'm going to try to make that connection. Paul is much more, um, you know, his love language is more touch than mine. I'm not a big hugger. I'm not a big, you know, and so yeah. I've had to learn where before Kian died, we could sort of skate through life, like acknowledging that, but it wasn't as important. Now, when you, when you pull away everything and your souls are bared to each other, you have to learn how to communicate. And it is a tremendous amount of work, but it does have tremendous rewards too, at least I hope. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it does. And and I think even, you know, taking this in, I, I keep going back to the holidays because I just did a holiday seminar and thinking about what I tell people is to communicate and then compromise and figure that out. It really boils down to all of this. And one of the things that hit me is that planning to go to see my family at Thanksgiving is really hard because we have to communicate on what we're all comfortable with because of what's going on in our world and are we going to be in the same car and who's picking you up from the airport and what about mom and dad and you know I haven't hugged mom one of my siblings said because I don't want to give her anything and I said I haven't seen her since February I'm hugging her if she wants a hug from me (laughs) you know so my point is that communication and then the compromise but the other thing that what I tell people about the holidays is to say to the people around you I'm not expecting you to understand me but please accept where I'm at and so for me thinking I don't have to understand all my siblings and why they make their choices but I do have to accept that that's where they are mm-hmm. so in all of it it does come down to those same things is that you know I may not understand their increased need or, uh, you know, how many times, this is my thing. When I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to say to the Lord, I just, can we have a few minutes over here, you and I, and I just want to know why you made men and women so different. (laughs) I mean, yes, like just show me why, because we are so different. And, and we love each other, but man, this is, it's, marriage has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, um, besides raising teenagers and a lot of other things, but, um, in the fact that it's, it's really takes a lot of work. I mean, so just encouraging people, I think, to put in that work that Stephanie was talking about and that investment in that relationship. I kind of lost my train of thought about talking to the Lord about that, but (laughs) don't you think too, that I liked how you said, um, like accepting where people are at. I think that's huge mm-hmm. in a marriage re- relationship. 
um, if Paul didn't accept the fact that I was going to cry every time we were intimate, we would have a problem. And if I didn't accept the fact that he needs it a little more frequently than I do, we would have a problem. Yeah. That's where I was going. You know, and, and, and so yes, it's communicating, but yes, it's accepting too. And, and then finding ways that you can try to meet in the middle. And, and sometimes that is just sitting on the deck with me or, you know, um, having Mexican for the third night in a row because that's what I want to eat or you, you know what I mean it's just it's all those that build into that communication connecting and intimacy um well I think too this is a little bit different but you know when you're under a lot of stress and your chronic cortisol levels are high mm-hmm. and things like that you know, I wasn't feeling like I was looking particularly attractive. Oh, yes. And when you feel like you're not looking particularly attractive, that's the last thing you want to do. Right? And that, so that was made it difficult for me, but yet, you know, that's not how Eric was feeling at all. Right. Um, But it's how I was feeling about myself. And when I just don't feel pretty, Mm -hmm. I just... Yeah. yeah you know and so that was an issue and and we you know just to be really if you guys are gonna be open I can be open too I guess and and you know a few months ago Eric was like we just need to I need this more mm-hmm. and I had read something that like you know you have a better marriage if if you have sex every day for a month and so we decided we would have sex every day for a month mm-hmm. and and honestly, at the end of the month, I did feel like we were closer mm-hmm. and better. And and in some ways, it was a little less stressful because I just kind of knew it was going to happen mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I, instead of like, oh, is he gonna, what's he going to do tonight? Yeah. You know, I mean, is it like, I just want to go to sleep. <clears throat> and so it, it felt a little bit more freeing than I thought it would just I don't know, just Mm -hmm. because I think it was expected and I knew it made him happier and I didn't have that uncertainty. So in some ways, I think even if it takes a little bit of the romance out of it, if you kind of plan ahead and get a little bit of a schedule, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which which may be helpful to this listener I right I thought you know like she said her husband wants to have it more she doesn't really want to and like well maybe you need to figure out a schedule ahead right. of time and maybe it doesn't have to be like you go on every day for a month because goodness there were days that were mm-hmm. less than ideal to mm-hmm. you know to want to but if it was more planned out it might help her a little actually and mercy. him too right yeah. You know, working with a lot of couples, sometimes they tell me things, um, and I have heard that. And and when I first heard it, like, well, we know we do it twice a week because that is the, our compromise, or that that's his minimum, or whatever it is. But it takes the pressure off to know that I'm meeting that need to the level that, and then anything else is a bonus kind of thing. But um, when you're not meeting that, and then you know, back to then we're not connecting and we're not being intimate it becomes difficult. So I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah. I like that you had a plan. I think that's really important. <laughs> um, and I, we're not, we don't do that as good as we should. My, my mom will probably laugh, but you know, even growing up. So, so this is the thing, Marcy, we can talk about how intimacy affects or is affected by having a child die, but let's just face it. Intimacy is hard period, yeah. especially in your forties or your fifties or however old you are, at least for me and my husband, again, um, I too, I've had an adrenals crash. I've had, you know, 
look the same that I did. I totally hear you on that. You know, I think that's a normal, like middle age woman problem, I think, especially. But I mean, I, we always knew and and laugh as you might, I'm sure she's going to love that I'm saying this, but my mom and dad, a Saturday night was their thing. You know, like (laughs) we knew that even as teenagers, like, oh, it's Saturday night, you know? And I laugh at that now, but I think how really like awesome it was that we saw that as teenagers, that, that we knew that it, they were important to each other. And so I think this is a normal life thing. And then you add a child dying on or grief or trauma and it just exacerbates it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. so and having I think back a plan, to the communication, back yeah. to that communication piece, right. When you're grieving, I mean, I've met a lot of grieving women now and some have really good relationships with their spout, their significant other, their husband or whoever. Mm-hmm. And some don't. Right. Right. Some I've talked to people like, oh, I can't even talk about our son because it just makes him uncomfortable. And yes. like, wow, what must your, I mean, you, I can't imagine having intimacy with someone that I can't talk to at all about this. Right. And that, right. that is out there though. I mean, right. that really is out there. Where- so I don't know, obviously I don't nothing about the circumstances to the woman that called in mm-hmm. nothing except for the fact that you know, that little tiny bit that I shared, but I don't know what their communication is like in their grief. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they feel like they can communicate and talk to each other about those important things, because if they can't, that may be why she can't feel like she can be intimate, right? Right. If she feels like she can't communicate her feelings Mm -hmm. and her grief process and what she's going through, I mean, if I felt like I couldn't talk to Eric about absolutely anything, mm-hmm. I don't know how I could have an intimate mm-hmm. relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I can talk to him about anything. But that right. it does go back to that, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And the less we feel understood, the less capacity we have to be understanding. Uh-huh. So if someone's not understanding me and what I need, I can't emotionally, posit- right? right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that again, it becomes, you know, and there's many books on marriages about this, like, you know, what comes first, the love or the respect, because women need love and men need respect. And it's that back and forth of which comes first. Um, I can't respect him because he doesn't show me love, you know, that kind of thing. But really, each one of us can decide how we're going to respond. And I think today, if there's a listener who can just make the decision to stay in and and to begin to the communicate and start that process. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all said how hard it is, but I think we also have to focus on how rewarding it is that there is just a value. So I mentioned my family and communicating about Thanksgiving. I now have such a piece that we've communicated what everybody's comfortable with and we know it. There's not going in with secrets or, you know, that kind of thing. There is a safety in that. And mm-hmm. um, so and as uncomfortable as it will feel to start that conversation, it is really important, I think, for all of us to actually do it even if you feel uncomfortable it's like me agreeing to do the podcast episode not feeling like I really wanted to go there (laughs) look at her open up (laughs) with the whole you know all the all of podcast them (laughs) but it it is important and I think good and hopefully can help people have some of these really honest conversations about 
what what do I need? What do you need? Right. And the, one of the things that I learned very early on in marriage is my husband's not going to meet all my needs. And I think I had to get rid of that expectation that he was going to be my knight in shining armor. It was not a romance novel. This was real life. And I had to remove the expectation from him that he was going to meet all of my needs. So even for the listener to realize that their husband may not be their strongest support in their grief journey. Right, right, right. And to, or their partner to realize that and to remove that expectation from him. But then that communicating of, but that I do need this from you yes. in order to you know so that's going to take that time to do that before we got on the air we were talking about the myth that I wanted to you know again um, dispel is the fact that the divorce rate is not higher for those who have had a child die that is a myth and I have been at places where people have spoken that out loud and I've had to just say no that that we're not finding that that is true Mm -hmm. so I think for those of you sometimes I, I certainly thought that I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's no no question. I we said that in the night Andy died. I remember Eric and I talking about this cannot end us, mm-hmm. right? This can't end our marriage because we were so worried that it might. Right. And we had a good marriage. I mean, right. we still have a good marriage. Mm-hmm. But we were afraid it was going to right. ruin our marriage. So if someone's unstable and then this happens, they're probably thinking, well, I don't know that I can invest all that because we're already doomed anyway. That is not true. It is no different than the average population divorce rate, which is, as we mentioned before we went on air, it's, too high. It's anyway. high. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is high. There's mm-hmm. no question it's high. Right. Um, and then the other thing we've also mentioned is that there's so much other pressure. It's not as if we, and we've said this before, that we can just go in our own little space and, and live in a vacuum kind yeah, of Yeah. Mm-hmm. And be in our little grief bubble. We have so much. And so that's what adds the complexity of intimacy in the relationship. Mm-hmm. That it just does in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not an easy topic in any circumstance really well and let's be let's be honest i think in our society a no one wants to talk about it and b but everybody thinks everybody else is doing more of it than they are yeah right (laughs) Right. i mean everybody else thinks oh everybody else's marriage is fine and great and and i'm here we are like struggling to schedule sex so i think that's the honest truth is this is an issue that probably everybody deals with or a lot of people do communicating through it. I think it's huge, Gwen, what you said about that your husband can't be your, your do all end all. You know, if I didn't have, um, and I don't have, I mean, a, a, I don't have a ton of friends, but if I didn't have the closest ones I did, poor Paul, you know, I am a person of a lot of words. Paul, I mean, I'm, I probably have a million words to his one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's just, he takes it all in, he thinks it through. And so if I didn't have an outlet for my words somewhere else, and we found that at the beginning, um, I just wanted to talk and he was like, can we please not talk about how sad you are, you know, yeah. um, because I don't want to talk about that right now. And every time you turn around, you know, so we had to have those conversations too, before we could deal with intimacy, we had to, to figure out how we were going to grieve together. I mean, men and women are different in every way. And if I didn't find those other outlets, um, it would it would just be a problem, and that takes work too. It's just a lot of work in every dire- every direction. But I think a podcast like this gives people the hope that they're not the only ones feeling that, right? And mm-hmm. maybe some ideas of whether to try it for thirty days or you know whatever it is. You, you know, know, you don't have to go that far, but <laughs> but it yeah, the communication is so 
is really the most important piece, I think, just to let every let your partner know exactly where you are and kind of what you need and then maybe landing on a compromise, mm-hmm. like you said kind of earlier, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's so much with that in the fact that it's vulnerable to tell someone, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling and, and have that conversation. There's many people probably going, you don't know how many times I've tried to do that. And yeah. it's making that decision again to say, I'm investing this so that if you have to look back on the relationship that didn't work, you know that you gave it everything, yeah. you know, yeah. then um, saying, I brought up these conversations. I told you, because there's some people who are difficult to be in relationships with. And again, I would do what we've just talked about is for you to find a way to get the support that you need, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally, those kinds of things. And then um, I think the intimacy problems are probably some of the least of the problems in a relationship like that. Does that make sense? Like we've got to work on these other things before we can get to that. Well, and you are 100% right in that, you can, you know, I've known people that work and work and work mm-hmm. on a relationship and it, a relationship has to be between two people. Right. And if your partner will not do that with you mm-hmm. and will not, is not at all open to communicate with mm-hmm. you, then it, it may not be able to work out. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, that's going to be another thing you're going to have to grieve because mm-hmm. that will be, I mean, wow. I, mm-hmm. It was hard enough to lose Andy if I would have lost Andy and my marriage because Eric would have been completely unwilling to open up and communicate and, mm-hmm. and give me any support because I don't know how you right. could actually get through that if someone would completely turn themselves off right. to you. Well, my first... But it does happen. It does. And perhaps it doesn't change the whole divorce rate. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a great marriage to begin with because you're a poor communicator, and now this poor communicator will Mm -hmm. not communicate with you at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it... When I said we make a decision to be committed to to invest in our relationships... um, but we also make a decision to be the healthiest we can be regardless of how healthy or unhealthy our spouse is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no different than if you have a spouse that is addicted to tobacco. You don't say, well, because they are, I have to be too. You go, no, I can make a healthy choice for me and I don't use tobacco, but you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the same way with emotional health, with all the spiritual health, all those things is I'm responsible for mine. I'm responsible for my spiritual health. I'm responsible for my mm-hmm. emotional health and I can make good choices for me. Even if I'm committed in a marriage relationship with someone who doesn't make those good choices for them. Mm-hmm. And people and don't talk about that. More, it's going to make things more difficult for sure, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's and not and that's doable too. Yes. Like to, to remain healthy inside of being with someone who is not healthy. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah. I, I want to give encouragement to that because yeah. I don't think we help people how to stay in difficult situations. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. Um, to make and, those... and too, because it could just take someone a lot more time. Mm -hmm. because you shouldn't just give up too yeah well there's so much because what we're finding right now is we're just digging deeper and deeper into relationships and we can't possibly 
you know, know all that's out there. Does that make sense? No, of course because not. one of my other thoughts was, is that sometimes in order for people who are so missing the mark together, that separately they need to seek counsel and get themselves healthy before and the, we can be together. Exactly. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And I will be open um, and honest to that Paul and I see our therapist together and we also see her separately. Right. Um, and a lot of therapists won't see individuals and couples at the same time you know, time or, you know, the same person seeing everybody for us, it works fantastically that she sees us each individually. She sees our children individually, and then we seek her together as well. Um, but that has been a purposeful choice, a, you know, we're going to choose to invest in that. It's not always an easy choice, um, to do cause it's a lot of work too. Um, but we do get that support individually as well. The other thing that we have learned, and I think it's Brene Brown that talks about generously assuming. And I think when you're talking about intimacy or really anything, yes, like Gwen said, we could talk about relationships for forever and not solve them all, all the problems. But if you can generously assume about your partner, you know, have a generous assumption about them, having saying that um, maybe they don't mean to look at me that way, or maybe they're just having a bad day, or, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. That has really helped Paul and I find that connection so that we could have intimacy was just giving each other the generous assumption of saying they're feeling a lot. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. It's not just about me. He's not just taking it out on me. He's not just ignoring me. It's not, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that generous assumption and trying to say, trying to, and I really try to do that with everybody now, yeah. you know, give everybody give, that giving generous, people grace. Yes. Giving people giving grace. People grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes the people we're closest to. Yes. Is, and sometimes those are the hardest ones. Oh, absolutely. It's so it much is, easier. It is very, yeah, it is a lot easier to give grace to somebody who has kind of said something rude to you in the grocery store than to someone that you spend, to yeah, than to Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when you said being completely honest, all of a sudden this thought came in my head and it said, oh, Gwen, you better share that. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please, I don't want to. But um, <laughs> I'm going hey, to. I know you really did it. uncomfortable. Okay, so you can get but uncomfortable no, this, too. This isn't that um, much, but um, especially going through infertility as well, and that changed our sexual relationship. And there was pressure, and there was—is this the time? And you know, afterwards, you know, holding your body in a position, yeah, your legs up, and it's like, no, that's not doing it for me. And I, you know, got to the point that I realized that. I had to pray about everything. Now, I'm not saying to someone, oh, you just have to pray harder. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want you to hear me say is that God does care enough about our sexual responses. He does care. And I'd say, Lord, I'm not going to sit here and hold my legs up. You're going to have to make them swim where they need to swim if that's supposed (laughs) to be. But the other part is I had to pray about having an orgasm and the fact that to relax enough because it wasn't just about making a baby and to pray about it. And I'm a couple of my friends like, you talk to God about your orgasms. I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) And I pray about everything. And I think that's the thing is to realize that you can offer those things up to the Lord and because he cares about every part of us. So it is okay to pray about these things. It's, it's funny to hear that because you don't think about it that way. No, right? not because at all. Because you think about it being like a dirty subject and yeah. awful and like evil and, and well, from the devil. And that's not the case at all. I, I have to tell you the story. I had a friend who was having, she had some deterioration of her, um, 
what's the word? Um, her organs down there, her <laughs> okay. her lady parts. And she okay. was having some very serious surgery to rebuild tell it. you're not a physician. No, I'm not. So you'd have and, the... And you know what's funny is I just let you flounder and Thank I could have I could have helped Rescued you out, me. but I didn't because I had more fun this way. So Thanks. go ahead. Well, she was having this surgery and she asked me to pray. And so that night I prayed that that man, uh, her physician, who I did not know, if he was married or in a relationship that he would have had some really awesome sex that night (laughs) that he would just that God would give him a glow and that he would just honor this woman's body and then transpose that to caring so much about my friend's body to rebuild that tissue and to do what had to be done so I told her when she was on the way to the hospital that morning I said man this is what I prayed and she's like Gwen are you kidding me I said I'm just telling you I said if he comes in whistling you'll know no joke she said he came in floating on cloud nine I wanted to tell him right then well my friend prayed she didn't tell him till um a few years later she he's been her doctor for many years and finally she said you know I had a friend and he said I wish I could reflect back to that but tell her thank you (laughs) so I mean God cares like we we can say Lord I want this you know person to to be in tune to what is really how precious that surgery was for her and her husband Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so yeah I I talked to God about all that stuff yeah I, I, I just have to say too I I agree Gwen because I mean, God created that part of us. It isn't a dirty thing. It's not a taboo thing. It's not something that we need to keep hidden in our closet. Um, God created it, and he does care about it, and he cares about how we're feeling about it and how we're frustrated about it or how we're sad about it um, or how when we're happy about it, you know? I mean, I think he does, and it's that's why I felt like, today doing a podcast like this is so important because it tears down a little bit of those walls that people feel like I can't talk about this I don't know what to do in the bedroom anymore after my child died but everyone else seems to be doing it fine and I just think it's a gift that that you could talk about it well and then now my aunt and my cousin who listened to this show know far more about me than I ever thought that they would Right. Very sorry, Aunt Penny. So, <laughs> although mm-hmm. I'm sure she may appreciate the little bit of a shout out now that I gave to my dear sweet Aunt Penny. True. Mm-hmm. Yes, True. she's been like a mother to me since my yeah. own mother died. So, well, I've been asked, you know, throughout my now that I'm a little more aged, um, to mentor other young moms, and I've been in small groups or mops groups, and a couple times I've been asked to talk about you know, sexual intimacy and those kinds of things. And I, I told them, you know, in my prayer, sometimes it's simply saying, Lord, give me, you know, 12 minutes of stamina tonight. Like make me awake in that moment that I need to be awake and, and committed to that. Cause it's not a long time frame, You know, it's, no, it's, it's not, not, you know, <laughs> it, it does. does feel like it, but you know, um, but to, to actually like, be there and realize that it's a need and I think we haven't given men enough credit like well obviously you know I'm going to talk to God about how different he made us and why you know to live together but we don't give men enough credit in the fact that they're not just being needy or what's the word um selfish it is an innate thing that God gave them to have a stronger sexual desire than we have Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Well, it certainly seems that way. It does. I, I, I mean, you know, because I, one of the things in my notes about that seminar that I went to, it said that um, a man will go to his deathbed worrying about whether he can have an erection while his whole family's praying around him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, that was one of the notes that I wrote back in 1988. <laughs> so I, I'd love to go back to that conversation. Wow, and yeah, learn more. I would like to have known what all was said around that. Actually. Yes, exactly. But the sexual thing. responses to things, you know, that it basically is a natural response. We are, you know, the highest level animals, but we are, we were created as animalistic. You, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it is an innate thing. Um, Again, you know, I can remember the night before we got married, my dad telling me that exact same thing. And I laughed. We, I mean, we laughed, but I have held on to that in knowing that it is a true need. It's not Paul just bugging me. It's not something that they just need for their own personal agenda. And so I think communicating through that is the key. And we could go on and on about that. But. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for opening up and being vulnerable. This is certainly a very I'm, different episode of Always yeah. Andy's Mom. And I think your emails might be, too, after this. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, well, you know, I mean. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, but, yeah, I think, it, I mean, it was good. I yeah. I do thank her so much for writing, actually. Oh, yeah. It, it you know, it's it's caused this episode it actually was a great conversation starter for just in my own marriage so mm-hmm. to be able to do that so I actually you know would encourage listeners who I have men and women listeners but I think more women certainly than men this might be one that you ask your husband to even listen to with you because I think it can be important and it would be nice to get everybody kind of on the same page so I it's I do have I have a patient who listens to Always Andy's Mom in the car with her kids. I think this is not the episode to listen to with your kids, but it is the episode I think to listen to with your spouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say that too. If 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 you're hurting, be brave enough to do the ask and ask ask your partner, ask someone to listen it listen to this with you because it can be a launch. Right. I, I think so off. too. I feel like if the spouse would listen to this, it really could spark a really good conversation. And that's, I think, where it all starts. That's mm-hmm. where the intimacy has to start is with a conversation and good communication. Right. Mm-hmm. So thank you Beautiful. again, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.